Awesome. Thank you, Kara. I just want to quickly just update you guys. Uh, it's been like a year and maybe, I think actually honestly just like a month uh, since I first came on staff here. And, and Lara and I have just loved Edmonton and we're loving this church. And, and man, God is doing some exciting things through the youth group. Uh, we, we started that initiative just uh, this fall about doing the drop-in program, so right after school on Wednesday. And honestly, I, I was kind of a little bit uh, apprehensive about it because I was like, okay, it, like, how many people are we really going to have out? I'm like, and I'm thinking, I'm like, oh man, okay, we'll probably have like five people. And, and, like, we had, like, triple that the first night. And so God is just so good. He's answering prayers. We are seeing our students grow. And, and, and honestly, you guys have some amazing kids. <laughs> like, honestly, I, I am so blessed by them every time I get to hang out with them. They're just so good. And God is doing such amazing things in them and through them. And honestly, I find when I come on a Wednesday night and, and I hear about what's going on in our small groups, the conversations that are happening, or even just on a Friday night, like just how they're engaging with one another and, and just how they're having a fun time together and how that is building community amongst their students. I am so excited that God is doing something amazing in this generation. And I believe he's going to do even more bigger and amazing things with his generation. Amen. And, and, and it's, it's so exciting to even just be a part of that. So thank you so much. Uh, it's such a blessing to be here. Let's, uh, let's pray before we get into the message. God, I, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity. It, it's such a privilege to be able to come here and, and to speak and to share what you've been laying on my heart, Lord God. And so, God, I just pray um, that you would help me to fade to the background that you, Jesus, would be the focal point, that we would hear from you, that your Holy Spirit would be talking to each and every single one of us and, and just speaking to us about the application that you would have us live out. Um, and so, God, we just we want to come here with open hands, with open hearts and open minds, just ready to receive what you have for us today. We know you're our Heavenly Father, and, and you say very clearly that you delight in giving us good gifts. And so, God, give us the good gift of your presence this morning. Give us the good gift of, of hearing you speak into our life, and help us just to focus on you. We, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. There's this idea in Scripture which has kind of always had a hold on me. It, it's this idea that we are God's children. And, and I say idea because for a lot of scripture, there are truths or promises, things that God has said about us or to us. But until we accept what they are, they aren't lived out in us. In the sense that we're not actually living them out in our day-to-day -day life. We're not realizing the potential that they have for our life. Which really, it's a shame because we're missing out on what God has actually intended for us. And this part about being God's children is such a crucial piece to our understanding of our identity in Jesus and, and the fact that we are Christians, and that means that we are part of God's family. Jesus says in, in John 1, verse 12, But as many received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. The writer of John wants to make it clear that just believing in Jesus gives us this right. 
the right to be the children of God. It's a promise of who we actually are. And, and once we get it, we understand it. And, and, and once we believe in Jesus, he adopts us into the family. We are no longer estranged from God, but found right in the heart of our original and intended home. In Scripture, there's this dichotomy, and even today there's this dichotomy of being God's children and being in and of the world. And honestly, I, this is a big struggle for us today. And it's not unique to our cultural setting. It, it happens all over the world. But I think both now, even, even more so now, in this unique time period, we are facing this struggle bigger and more and more. The struggle of being in the world, but not of the world. The Bible says that we are a light in the darkness, like a city on a hill guiding all around us towards Jesus, or at least that's our intention, right? We're called to guide people towards Jesus. And this struggle of being in the world and not of the world is so immersed in our everyday life. Let's take one example, just, just one of being on our phone constantly. I don't know about you guys, but it was kind of funny as like I had prepared all this stuff and I'm on my way here. Uh, Lara and I were driving and stuff and, and I get the notification on my phone and I'm like, oh, that's weird. Who's texting me so early? And I look over to Lara. She's like, oh, you got that too? And so she grabs her phone and, and opens it and it's like the screen summary of what you've been doing this week. How many of you guys got that notification maybe today? If you have an iPhone, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you kinda, you kinda hate looking at it, don't you? Like, I don't know, but like for me, I'm like, how did I do this week? (laughs) What did I, because it gives you a whole evaluation if you don't have an iPhone. It gives you a whole evaluation of, of how much time you spent on your phone this week. And not only just how much time you spent on your phone, what you were spending your time on. And uh, it's a horrifying thing to look at. You're like, I wasted that much time? <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, but anyways, let's, let's take this example of being on our phone. And, and in particular, when we're on Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever social media feed that you use. Uh, and, and let's relate that to being in the world for a second. Just humor me for a minute. I think social media is just so prevalent in our everyday life. I mean, whenever something good happens, man, what do we want to do? We want to, we want to post it on Instagram. If something bad happens, we, we want to post it on whatever, again, whatever social media that you use as your main one. Uh, it's just so prevalent in our life. And not only just for us doing stuff with it, but also it's just a constant voice telling us what to think or, or who to believe or, or even just what we need to post. And then further, that we need to post our opinions and views on all matter of things. And that we also need the public scrutiny of our post and, and the, or at least the people that we've allowed to see our stuff. And, and we want their feedback. We actually, we, we want the likes or we want the frowny faces. We, we want them to engage with what we're putting out there. And, and other people want the same from us. And we face this scrutiny of our peers more now than ever before in existence. So maybe we play it safe on, on our social media. Maybe we only allow people to follow us who agree with our views. 
and opinions, and we block all other people that kind of post the negative stuff on whatever we post. And, 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 and honestly, I fall into kind of a safe category where I'll just post fluff things or, or, or nice pictures or, or stuff that I'm up to and stuff like that, and I'll try to stay away from political things or, or divisive issues because the last thing I want to do is just spark another stupid fight on social media. And, and honestly, whatever, whatever side you fall into, whether you play it safe or whether you don't, whether you actually just do your own thing, like, we just do it. We, we go on this stuff. We have access to so many other people's thoughts that honestly, we probably don't need to hear. <laughs> and we let other people in on thoughts that probably they don't really need to hear. But that's, that's what we do. And, and I mean, so there's good stuff too. I mean, there's those cute dog and cat videos. Those are always fun to watch and look at. But it's crazy. We just have this voice constantly telling us this, that, or the other thing. And, and honestly, it's always within arm's reach from us all day long. I mean, I'll turn around on the hen day and go the opposite direction, facing incoming traffic to go get my phone if I left it at home, right? And like, I think we will do whatever we have, have to do to get our phone back in our pocket. And, and, and don't hear me say, I'm not saying that phones are bad or any sp- specific social media is bad or, or being on them is bad. It's just a tool. And tools can be used for good or for evil or even just that gray line in between the two. What I'm trying to get at is we have a constant voice telling us what to do, what to think, how, how, to, how to interact with life. And I know I'm kind of picking on something that we really, nowadays, we can't do life without. And so I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad for doing it. I, I have admitted I, I'm, I'm on my phone probably too much. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about this because I want to argue that interaction on a constant basis can be pretty deadly. And before you write me off and, and be like, well, I don't really need to, hear, need to hear this, just give me a minute to explain what I'm talking about. Because I'm saying it can be destructive. It's not always destructive, but it can be destructive. Are you spending the most time dwelling, thinking on stuff that has been on your social media platform? Are you dwelling on and thinking about what other people have said throughout the day the most? Is that what your mind is going to? Are you thinking and dwelling on that kind of stuff the most? Or are you dwelling on, meditating on God's word? And and here's a simple test for you. When a trial or temptation comes up, say you have an argument with a coworker or someone in your class if you're not in the work field, are, are you being childlike and asking God, God, this is going on. I need your help. Are you listening to your Heavenly Father's voice first and foremost for a response of what you should do or say in that instance? Or is your first response to go to others and complain and and hear what they have to say about it? Or do you post about it and let other people feed into what's going on? You see, as Christians, it's really easy to forget who we are in the midst of trials. 
When we're facing an issue, it's so easy to start trying to blame everyone and anyone else other than ourselves for that issue. It's also easy to go and try to get others' response to a situation that we're facing. Because in all honesty, we we usually get an immediate response from that person if we send them a text. We we get an immediate response when we're talking with someone face-to-face. We we just want to know how to handle or deal with a specific situation. Or we want someone to justify our feelings or our response in that given situation. Whereas what we're called to do and, and we're supposed to do as Christians when we face situations is we're told to pray and invite God into that situation. In fact, we are told to be constantly in prayer. Meaning, whatever is going on, we are inviting God into the midst of it. But that's the challenge. Because when we invite God into the situation, we are loosening our control on it. We are releasing it to God. We're told to pray. And praying means that we have to take time to just be still and listen. Or we're told just to lay our worldly concerns at Jesus' feet and go through it with him. Not on our own, not with other people, but actually just go through it with him. Or another part of that challenge can actually be that we're actually just supposed to leave it at Jesus' feet. And trust that he's going to deal with it. That we don't need to worry about how to resolve this thing because maybe it was just a bad situation and the best thing we could do is just give it to God and surrender our response and say, I'm not going to choose to respond in this situation. It's tough. It's tough to trust God and walk away and leave those things. I think when we look at being childlike, I think we need to kind of actually do more things like that a child does in our Christian walk with God. I mean, do you know what, what a child does when they have an issue? What do they do? They, they run to their parents and ask for help. Or, or maybe they fall off the swing and they're crying and they're just like, all they want in that moment is just, I just want to be picked up by my dad. I just want to be picked up by my mom. I just need them. I need you, mom. I need you, dad. I think we've gotten so good at managing our issues by ourselves or at least without God, by going to other people, that we've completely circumvented the one who we are called to do life with the most. It's God. I mean, this is the crazy picture that we get in the Garden of Eden when Eve and Adam give in to temptation and eat the fruit in Genesis 3, right? We see Eve get tempted by Satan, and she gives in because he's really pulling on her weakness. You know what, let's just actually, let's just go to that passage. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 3. We're going to be contrasting Genesis 3 and James because I really think Genesis 3 just kind of gives flesh to what we're going to be talking about in James. Uh, Let's read it together. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and, and we'll just read through. I'll stop a little bit and dive in a little bit more, but yeah, let's just read together. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from, tr- from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, said serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, let's pause right there. Did he catch that? There's this trial of temptation that we're talking about in James and the passage that Kara read earlier. Uh, you see, God knew that we were going to be tempted. He knew that, that sin is so tempting. He knew it both back then when humanity started, and he knows that it happens today. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not sinful to see something and have that moment of thought saying, hey, that looks pretty good. I mean, that's what Eve is doing here. She's being tempted and she's realizing that, yeah, that looks good. It's when she's being tempted by her own desires. This is what it's saying here in this passage. It is pleasing to the eye and it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. The temptation piece And let's just point out for a second our main idea, or rather the first part of it, which we find in James, is that temptation can come from outside and inside us. The temptation piece is just that. It can come from outside and inside of us. Meaning temptation can come from other people tempting us with things. I mean, this is why we hate peer pressure so much. It can be really tempting to go along with the crowd. And it could be such an evil form of temptation because you want to fit in. You want to do what everyone else is doing. And as we read in Genesis, it it also comes from outside. The devil can tempt us as well. But it also can come from within us as well. And this is what James is getting at in his passage. In verse 14, we tempt ourselves with our thoughts. And this is what Eve does as well. Man, it got pointed out to her how good it is and how it could be good for for wisdom and stuff like that. And she starts having that cycle of thought. Man, this fruit looks very tasty. I've never tried that fruit before. I wonder how good it really is. I wonder which one it kind of tastes like. Man, having wisdom to know what is evil and what is good would be so good for me. I would be able to discern that for myself. I wouldn't have to ask God what's good and what's evil. I wouldn't have to trust when he says this thing's good and this thing's evil. I would be able to discern that for myself. I wouldn't have to rely on God so much. What a trial of temptation that Eve is facing here. And that's also the part of what James is getting at in verse 13. And to the end uh, of our scripture today, temptation is just that. A trial of temptation, it leads to an opportunity to respond. However, it is when we, let, when we let our bad thoughts lead us and we act upon them that sin enters the picture. Are you getting this? So we can get led by our sins, we can get led by temptation, but it's when we act on those things that it becomes sinful for us. Those things can be sinful, it's not a matter of that, but it's when we act on them that it becomes sin. And up until this point in Genesis, she has not acted on it. 
She faces this temptation. It's up to her how she wants to react, much like us in those situations. But let's keep going. What does she do? She took some and ate it. She gave in to the temptation. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. I love that part, because Adam's right there. He could have told her not to do it. They could have had a dialogue or something like that. Adam's not blissfully unaware of what's happening. So when Eve comes and gives it it to him, he's not all of a sudden, where is this fruit coming from? He's right there. He knows what's going on. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. There's the immediate consequence of sin. It happens immediately. There's an immediate consequence for sin, and there's a long-lasting consequence for sin. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. I love this dialogue, by the way. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, then the rest of it goes on. Boom, sin enters the picture for all of the rest of time until Jesus returns again. I love this pact, this pairing of James and and Genesis 3, because it really explains the temptation trial that we face. And we see it lived out in the story of Adam and Eve. Temptation is a trial. And under any trial, or if you want to use the word test, it's the same thing, we have a choice of how we are going to respond. We can choose to be led by our sinful desires or bad thoughts and sin, and then that sin gives birth to death, because that's what sin always does, it gives death. Or we can choose to reject that. We can reject that choice of being led by our temptation, regardless of how good it looks. I remember being a kid, and uh, I have an older sister. I have a big family, but uh, my sister is eight years older than me. I remember she would get little tubs of candy from her boyfriend, uh, who eventually became her her husband. What a great boyfriend. And uh, so there was candy always in her room. And I remember being a little kid. I'm like, I like candy. (laughs) And so I would sneak into her room know exactly where to look. I knew where all the hiding spots were. Don't we all when we're kids? Know exactly where it was. Grab two enormous handfuls of just the candy, the biggest ones that my hands could scoop together, and then book it downstairs and just eat the candies. And, and she would eventually find out, and she would start asking our siblings, hey, did you, did you eat my candy? No. Did you eat the candy? No. Come to me. Did you eat the candy? No. Okay, she went to someone else, someone else, someone else. And she eventually would come back to me and say, well, Quinn, no one else ate the candy. And I'm like, wow, I I didn't eat it. She's like, did you really? And I love my sister, so I'd always tell the truth of like, yeah, I ate it. How much did you eat, Quinn? I only had one. (laughs) I only had one. Thinking that maybe just having one would lessen the consequence of stealing, right? 
kids' logic. And so uh, that would be what I would say, and, and, and she, would, she would get mad at me a little bit, and, and there would be some punishment from my parents, some minor chore that I would have to do or, or some way to make it up to my sister. And inevitably, within like a few minutes or hours, my sister would forgive me. My sister showed me a lot of grace and love. And I think it's very much so the same with God. When, when, when the consequences of our choices, especially when they're bad, our main response to God and, and to others, regardless of the situation, is always to deflect. It's, it's everyone else's fault. It's not ours. Or if it is our fault, it's only minimally our fault, right? It's, it's not a big deal. And, and then we try to pin the blame on everyone else but ourselves. Well, it's your fault for having the candy in your room. Didn't you know I would be in your room in that drawer looking for the candy? And, and we do the same with God. God, like, why would you let this happen? Why would you allow this to come into my life? And, and this is what Paul is saying to us here in James. He knows that we're going to face temptation. I mean, Paul is a guy who probably faced a lot of temptation. He probably struggled to make the right choice, much like we do time and time again. But what Paul is saying here is don't you dare and try to blame God for tempting you. He cannot tempt you, and he will never tempt you. You see, God is so far removed from sin. I mean, this is why he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. He cannot be associated with sin. It is not in his character. And that's part two of our previous point, because it wasn't really complete. Temptation can come from outside and inside us, but God never tempts us. And yet as humans, we want everyone or anyone else to take our fall but ourselves. That's why when, when, I, when I, in all my excuses and all my tries to blame my other siblings failed, I would only take ownership for just the minimal way in the most minute way that I possibly could. I only had one. So now you need to blame someone else too. Don't just blame me. And, and when we're going through temptation or a struggle, it's really easy to be like, well, God is allowing this to happen and he knows that this is going on. And so maybe it's God's fault that he's tempting me. We really struggle in life and, and, and life is not easy. The more, the, the more and more I get older, the more I realize life is not easy. And, and there are difficult times, and in those difficult times, sometimes the best thing that we can possibly do is just take the ownership and say, this is me. This is, this is what I did. I'm the one who caused this. I'm the one who put, this in, put myself in this situation. I think sometimes we forget how good God is and how grace filled he is and how much he loves us because he is so ready and willing to forgive us. And it makes me wonder about this particular part in Genesis 3, which, again, I really love the dialogue in Genesis 3. When God asks Adam, why are you hiding? Did you eat from the tree? I mean, God knew, let's be honest, he knows what's going on. He saw all of this happen, and, and yet he's giving Adam a time to respond. Did you do it, or did you not? My sister knew after the first time, after the second time, after the 
fifth time. It, it was me. But it wasn't my siblings. And yet she came to me and asked me, did you do it? I wonder what would have happened if God, or sorry, if Adam would have fell flat on his face and repented of what he had done. I wonder what God would have done in that situation. I wonder if he would have, if Adam would have took the ownership for his actions versus trying to pin the blame on Eve and then Eve, Satan. I wonder what would have happened. Further, I wonder what would have happened if they actually would have just rejected Satan's offer and gone through the test of temptation and passed that test by not being led by their evil desires and thoughts. I, I wonder what would have happened if they would have just cried out in that moment, Abba, Father, help me. I am facing a tough time and I really need you. I need your help here. This is really tempting, but God, I know that through your help I can overcome this. So God, please help me. Help me to resist this. Help me to see that you have in store such a bigger, better picture for me. Help me to see the blessing that you are calling me to do because sometimes the actions that I want to do aren't what I actually want to do. I want to give in to this. I want to do this thing. But God, I know that the blessing comes when I listen to you. So help me to do that. I wonder what would have happened. I think Paul has the answer here in James verse 12. It says, The man who does not give up when the test comes is happy. After the test is over, he will receive the crown of life. God has promised this to those who love him. I wonder if we need to start leaning. Sorry, I wonder if we need to start learning to have our dependence more and more on Christ. I wonder if we need to be leaning and trusting him more and more. If we need to go to him first and foremost when trials and temptations come, because they're going to come, they're going to happen. I wonder what blessing would happen, especially when those temptations come up. I wonder if we need to just read and soak in the Bible more and more so our response in those situations is not of ourself it's not in the the sinful nature of who we are but rather it is in god's word and we respond out of that i mean look at how jesus responds in the desert to satan right you guys can read the passage behind me as i say this but satan tempts him and 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 boom jesus responds with god's word and satan tempts him again and again and and jesus responds each time with god's word what does god say previously and he responds out of that to satan what a way to combat sinful temptation I wonder if we need to place ourselves no longer as slaves to the world and their line of thinking of being in the world and doing everything else that the world seems to be doing around us, but release ourselves to the understanding that we are sons and daughters of the one and only true God, our King. And if that piece of understanding, if it can hit our hearts and affect our lives, if that would just transform everything around us. If we could just get that, if that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we are his children first and foremost, 
I wonder the power that would happen in our life. Paul writes in Galatians 4, verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. Or if you're a girl, you can replace that with a daughter. And if a daughter, then an heir through God. And he also writes in James 1, verse 12, which again is our passage, God has promised this to those who love him. They will receive the crown of life if they choose to follow after his ways. I wonder if, if, if in any temptation, any trial, if there's an opportunity for blessing. No, you know what? I actually, I know there is. I know that there's an opportunity for blessing. We as God's children have such an opportunity to turn any trial, any temptation into a blessing. A blessing which blesses us, but even more to the point, will bless God and others. It blesses us. Because when we make the right choice to resist temptation, we are going to be blessed by the consequences of making that right choice. There is a blessing of not having the sinful consequence. There is a blessing of acting in and living in the promises of God. There is blessings through that. Blessings are going to come when we do the right thing, when we live according to God's word. We will be blessed in the fact that we are not suffering the consequence of sin in our life. It also blesses others because they're going to see God through our actions and our choices. And, and let's be real, how we choose to act in those moments of temptation and trial really reflects who we really are as people. What we really believe, it's when we're pushed to the edge that our true nature shines through and comes out. It really reflects what we believe. And as Christians, we really want others to see Christ when they see us. Just as a side note, on, on Netflix, I've I been watching this magician. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, but he came out with this show um, recently. It's a movie, and, and it's all about the act of redemption, of redeeming someone's nature. And, and so they show this guy who, who was so, like, just, he really hated a certain group of people. And he's from the States, and so he really had that mindset of hating all the immigrants because they're stealing jobs. And not even just the immigrants, the illegal immigrants in particular. And he hated them. He would go on without length of how much he hated them not caring about what past they've been through or anything. They're just stealing jobs, and they're ruining the economy. And, and on and on and on the co- his talk went. And so this guy started talking with him, and, and he does these different things which kind of help him to see the perspective of the other people, of this other race. And one of the things he's done, and, and we've seen this through different social experiments, is when they sit across from each other and they just stare into each other's eyes. Have you guys seen that before? And the guy is staring at this, this other raced individual, and, and he's just staring at him. And for a couple seconds, you're like, this is awkward to watch. And then a couple more seconds, you just see the man's composure begin to break. And he start, his eyes start to well up. And he just breaks down and cries and gives this guy a hug. And then towards the end, and again, this is all scripted, except for this guy. He doesn't know what's going on. He gets put into this, this, this whole different situation where he has to choose either to stand up for this guy who's about to be shot. You know, that's where the whole story's been led to. 
and he's in the truck, and he's trying to weigh the consequences of getting out of the truck to try to put himself and argue that this guy needs to be saved. And so there's this biker gang about to shoot these, these Mexicans. And he's holding the gun, the biker guy is holding the gun to him, and the other guy that is the one who's going through all of this is in the truck. And he gets out of the truck and, and starts to plead to not kill this Mexican guy, Mexican guy who he's been hating up until this point. And the guy holds the gun and, and he's aiming it right at him and eventually he's, the biker guy starts counting down. If you don't get out of the way in five seconds, I'm going to shoot. Five, four, three, two, one. Boom. And the guy keeps standing in front of him. And then they end the show and, and kind of say, this has all been a show to the guy. We're so sorry. You're okay. Don't worry. It's not a real bullet. You're okay. We just wanted to see if your choice and your love towards these people would actually come out. When we are facing those crucial moments, and, and obviously we're not going to be going through that ever, hopefully. But what we choose to do in those hard moments really reflect our true nature. And, and, and for us as Christians in particular, our nature needs to be love needs to be God. And so when we go through these things, when we choose to resist temptation, when we choose to resist the sinful allure of whatever it might be, if we can choose to reflect Jesus, man, that's a powerful thing. Finally, it'll bless God because God, he's our father. And when we actually live the way he's designed us to live, he's like a proud parent beaming over his children going, well done, you're so awesome. I'm so proud that you're realizing your potential. This is why parents get so overjoyed when their kids realize and live out their potential. And, in, and as God is our parent, we should see it the same. Any trial or temptation can be used as a blessing if we respond as God's children. I, I, I know for me, I, I want to make my Heavenly Father so proud. In every action and every choice that I make, I want Him to be rejoicing over me. I want, when I'm done this life, as I enter into His presence, I want Him to just be like, man, Quinn, you did awesome. I'm so proud of you. And I want people, after I, after I pass, to look at my life and say, man, He wasn't perfect by any stretch. But he really tried to live like Jesus, and, and that's really what I remember about him. What a blessing that would be. When I get to heaven, I really do want to hear, well done, my son. I am so proud of you. And I, and I think for, for all of us, or if not the majority of us here in this room, I think that's what we all want as well. When we get to heaven, we want to hear God just beaming over us. You did so good. I am so proud of you. You lived an amazing life. Well done. And I think one step in trying to live that way is looking at temptations and looking at trials as an opportunity for a blessing. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it speaks to us and, and talks to us, God. I pray that we would take this message to heart, Lord God. Not, not the one I gave, but rather the message that you're leaving within each and every single one of us, God. That we would see that this life is just an opportunity to live it for you. And that temptations and trials are just opportunities to bless you, to bless others, and bless ourselves.
Help us, Lord God. We, we desperately need you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.